Welcome to another episode of Conduct Detrimental, Dan Lust, Mike Krevchenko. It is Friday, Mike. When we're recording this, it's Thursday, but when you're listening to this, it should be Friday. If you listen immediately upon the episodes coming out. Mike, how are you, my man? I'm doing awesome, Dan, honestly. I'm just super excited to be back, uh, back in the swing of things. Uh, semester just started again. Um, going back, we got uh, week number two coming up on Sunday, so, you know. I'm feeling good. I'm I'm back in the grind. Sometimes I hit you up on short notice. I'm like, Mike, ready to record? And then last last week you're so funny. Like, I would, but it's my dad's birthday. And I'm like, Mike, you do not have to be on the episode every week. You are not being kicked off. I love you to death. Whenever you're ready to come back, you're ready to go. You, I think part of you, there was like a one percenter that was like, man, am I really banned from the podcast when you tried to go on during finals week? And I'm like, Mike, I'm just kidding. I love you. Come on whenever you want. Um, so. I'm happy that you're back. I'm happy that we're talking sports law. Um, everything else in life is good, Mike. Everything's good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, honestly. All good. Work's good. Uh, apartment, you know, living with the dog. It's uh, my girlfriend dog and I, do you have? I mean, a pit bull, a three-year-old pit bull. Very nice. I have a mini golden doodle who's six, just like my family member. Sleeps in the bed. Exactly. Do your pit bull sleep That's in your bed? Be. Uh, he did, but he's got to learn a little bit uh, to calm down. So, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. you know, we're, we're teaching him. Okay. Well, Harper, our little golden noodle, sleeps in the bed, doesn't behave herself, kicked me up, wakes me up at night. We're woken up by the dog, the little kid, the bigger kid, get woken up constantly. But that's that's a day in the life. Um, okay. we got a couple topics in the show tonight. We're going to go across the sports world. I don't know if there's any one story that I think grabs our attention this week. So what we do each and every week. We span the wide world of sports. Mike comes up with some topics. I come up with some topics. We ask our Conduct Detrimental team members, our newly elected board of sports law students across the country. Mike, congrats, by the way, on your appointment to the board. What is your fancy title on this board? Uh, VP Content. Okay. You can be president of content. Who's the president of content? Me? Am I the president of content? I guess so. I mean... We just kind of were like, you know what? What fits uh, a role that I do here? And it's just content is correct. All content. You all are definitely content. content. I would almost say yeah, content's good. Congrats to you. Congrats to the rest of the board members. But as I was saying, go around. We ask everybody what's important. And here is our list. We're going to talk a little bit about, and if you're looking at the title to the show, you could kind of discern Barstool, the NDA that like barely existed. We're going to talk about Barstool's rumors to be getting back in bed in the gambling game. Uh, and DraftKings. We're going to talk about, speaking of betting, um, LSU. I'm going to say boot. We might say boote. We might both be wrong. It might be something else. But um, a Calvin Ridley-esque story um, dealing with a then LSU wide receiver, now New England Patriots wide receiver, in maybe, again, just a very dumb way to get caught gambling on sports. There are very dangerous ways that athletes can gamble that we won't know about. This one is not one of them. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the recent coaching cycle. Um, and allegations uh, that the Rooney Rule is, um, we'll say, being violated just kind of out in front of us uh, in, in similar way to Brian Flores talked about, that it was kind of a sham interview. So we'll talk about that. And then maybe the, the sports side of that conversation, that there seems to be only two open chairs left for coaching jobs, and Bill Belichick doesn't seem to have either of them yet. So we'll talk about that. Um, we're going to bring on two guests. Uh, we're going to talk about Bryce Goodwin, our newly elected editor-in-chief of Conduct Detrimental, um, 2L over at Regents, um, and Greg Termol, the recent graduate of Pace Law School. I love Greg to death. Talking to him for a couple of years. We're going to talk a little bit soccer. Um, and then we're going to bring back what to watch for two very big cases 
that just dropped. So we got a lot to cover on this Friday. Um, a reminder before we get into it, a podcast sponsored by Themis Bar Review, top bar prep company in the galaxy. We're going to talk a little bit about soccer or, as the youngins say, football on this podcast. Themis is sponsoring the 2024 New York Law School Soccer Negotiation Competition. If you have not heard of this competition, it is one that I have, that I'm running. Um, uh, I'm going to be there live on, I think it's the 24th and 25th of February. Certainly can confirm that. Um, Bryce is going to be on the show, former contestant, uh, former competitor. Greg, former competitor. Those two met one another, as we talk about on the show. Now they're best buds. Good networking opportunities. There's real uh, judges, real, and I say real judges, real employees of soccer entities that come to this. So if you're a soccer fan or just a law student who likes sports negotiation, by all means, you should come down because it's in New York. Mike, that brings the question to you, my man. Are you going to compete in the 2024 New York Law School soccer competition? I'd have to recuse myself, but will you be in attendance? Will you be there? I can be there in attendance. You know, uh, I'll, I'll come out to, to cheer everyone on. Soccer, f- football, as as you'll hear, I don't, you know, or am I even going to, you know, am I even going to hear about that or talk about it? You, you know, might, so you might, we'll I see. might peer pressure into doing it. We'll see. We'll see. Um, okay. Well, listen, if you're into it, if it's your cup of tea, by all means, it's a great networking opportunity. Um, but either here nor there. Actually, Mike, before I forget, we haven't had you on since that crazy person dropped in your DMs. How are you feeling? Are you okay? I feel great. Has, uh, a, cra- I, has I, a crazy I, person come back to you? Has he apologized? No, 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 no. And I, I feel good because uh, I'm starting to, you know, now I, I pay for verification on Twitter. Like one of the, you know, like one of those. I don't know if you do, but. I do. Um, Nine ninety nine. It's a, yeah. It, it, I mean, it's it's a good business decision if you're going to be uh, posting consistently on. There, I'm not but... sure if it's a good business decision. I've actually been thinking of dropping it. I'm like, what am I spending a hundred dollars on this thing? Well, that, uh, it's a sign true. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta hit those viral posts, and you know, when rent is due, uh, you know, start posting. Like, uh, we'll get into a little bit of how uh, some reporters uh, post. It seems like when rent is due, but. Um... You know, uh, <laughs> Twitter, you know, that's where I'm seeing all this. So, so um, I'll say this and then we'll go right into the topics. I Let's see if anybody can figure out quite what I'm talking about. But I had a post, a pretty innocuous post sometime in the last six months. I really didn't think it was a big deal. Um, one of my clients, they, they, I don't think I can say this, but they, they, I had something that was about a sports law post. And I, I represent uh, schools. I represent agents. I do some work with collectives. That's my world of, of NIL. Um, coaches work. I said something highlighting and amplifying a story that I thought was interesting. Someone didn't take too kindly to it. So I try to lay a little bit low on Twitter. Mike, you knew me in uh, you know the old early days of conduct. I was doing a assumption of the risk jokes. I was letting it fly. And now we try to we save our, our personality for the podcast. We have some fun here. So appreciate each and every week the listeners coming out. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was great meeting people in person. We did our bar event, Mike, you and I, great meeting each other in person, um, but all good. We'll get into the fun stuff. Okay. Uh, a story that you and I covered. Um, I remember covering this with you when, when Barstool Penn had their sale. Um, you and I were kind of talking about the pros and the cons. And at the time there was, uh, there was an NDA that was, re- um, not an NDA, but a, a non-compete that was reported that Barstool couldn't compete with Penn in the gambling field for a period of time. Now, if you look at case law, case law, you can't have a, a non-compete that's like indefinite for the history of time. Courts are most likely going to strike that down. Yet the non-compete has to be reasonable in terms of its scope, in terms of its jurisdiction. I, we, we deal with this constantly in uh, employment agreements that I look at or, or really whatever, any type of agreement. Um, you know, 
if to the extent it comes up. Now, I remember, and, and people can check the tape. I'm not sure what the date of that episode was. But I, I've said, I'm like, hey, this non-compete's probably significant. Um, so, you know, Dave had to make this decision. He has now, he gets Barstool back, but he can't compete with Penn and Gaming. That's probably a significant source of income. Um, so I'm not, you know, I'm sure he had to agree to it, but whatever. But interesting. Mike, we learned this past week, reportedly, allegedly, right? I don't know if we know it as fact at this point. That NDA, Mike, was six months. A six-month, I keep saying NDA, a six-month non-compete? I mean, that's, what's the point of having a non-compete if it's a six-month non-compete? Uh, Mike, did that surprise you as well? Yeah, I mean, it was just for the remainder of football, basically. It's not even other sports. Or, you know, the NBA is not done. The uh, hockey's not done. Baseball's, you know, just kicking off. And they're like, you know what? Uh, football's over. So, you know, you can go ahead and pick right right back up where you started. And I'm surprised, too, uh, after there's been so much blowback from, you know, ESPN Bet, you know, which is where uh, Penn is now, you know, in their partnership with ESPN. So. You know, I, I am surprised at the, how short it was, but it, it's a great thing. I mean, great thing for, like you said, Barstool and Portnoy. I mean, th- their culture and what their brand is, is directly aligned with gambling. That's how it started. I mean, that's, you know, so I think this is a home run for them. And I know DraftKings has been upping. I mean, I I see commercials constantly, but I know they've been spending billions of dollars uh, in the you know sales and marketing space. Uh, they spent over over 1.19 last year, and then they're on pace to top that in 2023. So I'm curious what that number is going to be with Barstool if they end up going through with that. I have a client. Um, I just I guess it's good for everyone. The more that DraftKings spends and FanDuel spends, the more that we'll say the other betting brands have to spend to keep pace. I have a client who's signing a gambling deal with not FanDuel or, or DraftKings. The amount of money that the other brands are spending to compete, it, it would maybe surprise some people, but it's it's a uh, the market is really ripe for these gambling deals at the high end, and I think at the low end they're they're trying to hit quantity, they're trying to hit a lot of different shows. I listen to a ton of podcasts, Mike. I listened in the car. I listen. I'm an insane person. I listen to double speed on podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know if there's a podcast I listen to that doesn't have gambling reads. I don't, I don't know if there's one. Um, yeah, it's become a meme, like, you know, all the, any coaches or anyone going into media, sports media at all, after uh, a career, players, coaches, they got to get ready, hey, get ready to start reading betting ad uh, reads, because every show, no matter what it is, if anything's associated with sports, and some not even sports, obviously, there's a lot of other gambling in the world, just as a society, but uh, the sports betting market, on every because I'm the same way, I but I watch YouTube videos. So rather than podcasts, I'm on YouTube. Every I mean, whether it's a fantasy channel, whether it's a sports law channel, whether it's you know, it's everything is sponsored by the whole from top to bottom. Whether it's FanDuel, like you said, I see so much underdog fantasy. Um, shout out mm-hmm. to Sideline Family, uh, and, but I mean, it's just shout out to it's, Doug. It's crazy the market that's going on right now. And this could be, I think one of the, one of the largest deals to come. I mean, yeah, I guess on the legal end, um, we've talked about this, but Dave base, Dave Portner basically brought, bought the company back for a dollar, sold it for hundreds of millions of dollars. There's also the news. We're not going to really cover it here. It's not that relevant. But Eric Nardini, um, former, uh, CFO of the company. 
CEO. CEO of the company um, is now is now leaving. So there's been a lot of kind of unrest, but as you know, Dave has kind of switched the company around. I guess my understanding during the Penn era, they had to be very careful in what they said on a gambling level. So I, I listen to part of my take pretty regularly and they, they make these little jokes like we couldn't reveal this during the Penn era. We couldn't talk about these side bets we were doing, couldn't talk about that. So if you've seen Barstool really ticking up the content in the last six months, I feel like Dave feels very um, invigorated. Davey Day Trader's coming back. He's he's really, I think, pouring into the content game. So I think it's good for content. I think it's good for Barstool. Um, and I guess from a legal standpoint, I think Penn must have been under so much pressure to get a deal done with Barstool. The ESPN must have, there must have been something. There must have been some earnings report for ESPN or something because it doesn't make sense. Like six month non-compete, like, so I don't know. I, I think there was a lot of pressure on Penn to get the deal done at the time. Probably ESPN was pushing it, but it's my, it's my th- thoughts at a really high level, but good on Barstool. Um, we'll see. We'll see uh, how ESPN bet can compete with DraftKings. And now that Penn's main like advertisers are now going to the enemy. So we'll see. Um, okay. Speaking of gambling, we did mention it. Um, Mike, what do we want to go with? Boot? Boutte? Um, I, I don't... Boutte. Do you want to go with Boutte? I, uh, I do. I'm confident with that. I just uh, I did my research. Okay. Kayshawn Boutte. Okay. Uh, just just go with me for a second, Mike. I'm going to let, I'm gonna let you do the, the granular part. You and I were talking about this, and I'm like, to cover Boutte. And, I, and I, I started to read some of the articles on Twitter, and then you and I were talking, and I'm like, the guy got arrested for sports betting. Arrested. So um, I will I'll let you take the, the finer points. Um, but this is a story about a New England Patriots wide receiver who has been arrested for sports betting. Take it away, my friend Mike. Yeah, mind you, he's a rookie wide receiver. So, you know, this man's professional career was just kicking off. Uh, and... No longer uh, at the moment because, yeah, he was arrested and charged with, uh, like you said, computer fraud and gaming prohibited for persons under 21. So uh, in Louisiana State, uh, he was booked in East Baton Rouge uh, Parish jail. Uh, Yes, jail. Um, And he posted a $600,000 bond um, as we were talking about. Uh, It it was just the way that he got caught and the whole situation. I mean, he he put a big target on his back Um, and the type of bets that he made, you know, it's. Like it's, we talk about things uh, in the past as well, just how funny some of the people that get caught in the ways that they get caught or the ways that they just um, put it out so publicly. Um, So allegedly, I mean, he had, he was 20 at the time. So that's one of the charges. So um, say the number, the the numbers are pretty alarming. I'll, I'll do this part quick. 8,900 bets. Okay. 8,900 illegal bets. 17 of the bets were on NCAA football games. Six wagers were on LSU football. And then there's a, an infamous bet that's making the rounds that he bet on himself to have over 82 and a half yards in a game and score a touchdown. Neither of those two props hit. So he bet on himself and lost that bet. Um, I, I think this is a, a huge story, Mike, but I, I, I feel like we haven't got to the best part of this. Well, right. It's a, Huge story um, that is going to be hitting rounds because, I mean, college is 
college athletes are just way more susceptible to be gambling and being and giving into these type of things. Um, their careers aren't guaranteed yet. Uh, the decision making skills of young adults are very different. <laughs> um, and the like thrill of getting that quick one hitter and being rich for the rest of your life. I'm sure, you know, that's one of the many reasons uh, college students gamble and, you know, these athletes are no different. So uh, the way that he did it though, is just as an athlete, you know, that you just number one shouldn't ever, but also uh, FanDuel actually, he was betting on FanDuel. He created these accounts. FanDuel contacted the Louisiana state police's gaming uh, division about the possibility of a college athlete placing sports wagers. Um, so they launched the police launched an investigation. They found two different accounts from Keishan Wute. Um, number one, uh, one was made in Massachusetts um, in another state, uh, allegedly. Um, you know, it may be used as a VPN as well. You know, we were talking about that. Um, and, you know, and that was in June of 2023. He used his mother's bank card. And he used the name rather than using his name. You know, you have to create your account, use your legal name, your birthday, all of that. <laughs> he used his mother's name, uh, used his. Wait, but but he used these mother's name and a yep. fake name. But doesn't the account like Keishan Butte? Well, won? that's what's that's how it's it's like almost so obvious. I'm surprised it took this long, you know, that he's in the NFL. Yeah, I was going to say, like, the police are launching an investigation. It's like. Uh, it seems like, you know, the mom's credit card, Keishan Boutte, like it's either the mom or it's him. What was the fake name? Kayla yep. Fortenberry? Yeah. So he opened that up, uh, you know, and yeah, you mentioned the usernames. It literally Keishan Boutte 7, Keishan Boutte 01. It's like he's making multiple, you know, like if you make multiple. Yeah, yeah but that's that's the story. I mean, this is the part that I wanted to like make sure that like there and I alluded to this like. There is a concept in, in sports betting that, you know, I talked to my class about, like this concept of proxy betting. We have to be worried as a gambling public. If someone has inside information and they're a player, right? Keishan Boutte and bets, let's say Keishan Boutte bet the under on 82 and a half yards, right? And, and he could control that to some extent. Um, we could like sub himself out of a game for and fake an injury. I, I don't know what you could do. But if Keishan Boutte, and I hate to say this, but we're going to say it. If Keishan Boutte is dumb enough to make the account his name, he's dumb enough to get caught. That's what happened to Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley, former Atlanta Falcons wide receiver, now Jacksonville Jaguars wide receiver, was dumb enough to put the account in his own name. So it didn't, you know, there's like that famous Tim Robinson sketch on, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, I think you should leave. It's like, we're all looking for the guy who did this. And it's him in the hot dog suit. It's like, who who could have done this? Keishan Boutte. Well, the account's named Keishan Boutte, and Keishan Boutte's got the hot dog outfit. I'm like, we're looking for the guy who did this. Like, it's you, Calvin Ridley. It's you. So these stories are big in that there are still athletes in this day and age in 2023, 2024 now, that are that dumb to register in their own name. Now, if you had a girlfriend, right, or a friend, and you were a college athlete, and you went through the same process, and the person put money in on their own credit card, and there was no paper trail directly to Keisha Boutte or Calvin Ridley, and information came in from that athlete, that's that concept of proxy betting, which is really dangerous, which does shift the lines into, into lines that don't really make sense or, or prop bets that don't make sense. So that's, I think it's a big story in that like there are still dummies that exist. The bigger story is how we're going to crack down on, on proxy bets, but those guys have never been caught. It's always been my, you know, like you and I talked about the NFL betting saga, which, which is on our list of top 20, 2023 stories. 
It's people that bet in their own name where there's a paper trail. We have yet to find the proxy bet, you know, and, and I think maybe the exception was that Alabama baseball story, or, or maybe it was Ellis, was it LSU baseball or was it Alabama baseball? It was Alabama baseball. Um, but I digress. I think that's the big takeaway that someone is so dumb in this day and age to get caught. I agree. I mean, I'm just, like, I was just, I was dumbfounded when I, when I read that article for the first time, because it was, I mean, this was a hot story on Twitter today, obviously. I mean, an NFL player getting caught for this and being arrested uh, is such a significant thing. And then obviously the memes were pouring in because he recorded like 20 yards and no touchdowns when he's betting on himself to, you know, go off and have a day. Can you imagine him in the huddle? He's like, give me the ball. Give me me the the ball. ball. And they're like, give me the ball. And they're like, they're like, what do you, why do you need the ball? He's like, I need, I need more catches. And he couldn't explain, like, I have money on this. The, the money, I mean, the, this is uh, from a, uh, I guess it's Associated Press articles. Butte deposited a total of 132000 into the account. Um, so that's according to the warrant. And I, I guess there's some understanding that that came from his mom's credit card. Mom didn't realize $132,000 had gone. I guess neither here nor there. This is actually probably my low-key favorite part of the story. Boot, Boutte, won a total of $556,000 on the bets. Um, so then some red flags are raised, right? No, It's very hard to win, to triple your money, right? Like, you know, to be a successful gambler, you just have to win 51% of the time. To win 3x, that makes, again, I think another part of the story is like, this guy won. Maybe we should analyze his bets a little more. That's why, you know, there is, I think that's put out in, in, for a reason in a lot of these stories, 8,900 illegal bets. And it says at least 17 on the bets were on NCAA football games. Six were on LSU football. So if you're doing some rough math, right, 8,900, and then 17 of the bets were on NCAA football games. Six of that 17 was on LSU football. Um, that kind of tells me like, okay, we don't have to be so alarmed. It wasn't betting predominantly on, on college games where he's most likely to have, you know, access to, but you know, it says college football games. Maybe he's has a whole scheme of betting on college basketball games. We don't, we don't really, that's at least not, that's what's made public at this point in time, but um, big story. And you know, I, I don't really think it's the last we've seen of this. You know, there's been a lot of betting allegations between Iowa, Iowa state, Alabama, you know, um, and, and I'm seeing, well, at least while we're on betting, Mike, I think, Players, I don't, think, I don't think I sent this one to you, but there's like a memo being sent to players about, you know, how to conduct themselves in terms of gambling in Vegas during Super Bowl week. So like, this, I don't, we haven't still become to a comfort zone, like a f- nice resting place with athletes and gambling. It's still being yeah, sorted but, out. I mean, is that, you know, th- th- that's, in my opinion, at, at fault of the leagues, you know, they, they surround, you think we get consumed with gambling ads and, you know, these players are wearing them on their jerseys and you know, being, they're in their commercials. I mean, the, the temptation is there. So if you have some sort of, if you're slightly predisposed to, you know, either some sort of addiction or just like, you know, want to get involved, you know, do these type of things, it's very easy for these players to do it. So I think this is just, this is just the beginning. <laughs> tend, tend to be in agreement on that. Um, okay. Um, let's, let's shift over. Um, I've got one other big story on uh, in kind of the football world as we're kind of sitting here uh, getting toward the end of the week. We'll see if we have news. Um, I think this is one of the greatest coaching cycles, like the, the, maybe yeah, the, the best like free yeah. agent coaching class ever. Um, you know, Pete Carroll, one of the greatest coaches of all time between college and the pros. Um, 
Vrabel, uh, former Patriots great, who's I think really overachieved really maybe every other year other than this year in Tennessee. I'm a big fan of Mike Vrabel. And Bill Belichick, who prior to these like last couple of years was thought of as like the undisputed greatest coach of all time. Now I think there's maybe a question of what's going on in Belichick's head, but neither here nor there. Um, as the coaching cycle is concluding, we have two spots left. Belichick, Vrabel, Carroll, all on the sidelines. We'll see what happens uh, in those spots. But the reason we wanted to talk about this is not to talk about the coaching carousel. Um, I saw this, and I, and I think, Mike, you, you caught where we were going with it. Do you have some of those tweets, um, some of those tweets handy on, uh, I think Schefter had a tweet. Um, yeah. Uh, go ahead, Mike. I think this is important. You can read them with no context and then certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Them. So um, the uh, Schefter had tweeted out um, the Chargers were in the process of their interview, obviously previously before hiring Jim Harbaugh, but um, they had completed, and this was the, this was the tweet from Adam Schefter. Chargers completed an interview with David Shaw for their head coaching job. They're now in compliance with the Rooney rule. Uh, And Albert Breer uh, on Sports Illustrated uh, on Twet on X, excuse me, um, wrote with Leslie Frazier and David Shaw having interviewed in person. The Chargers are now Rooney Rule compliant. Um, interesting phrasing, right? Like very Rooney Rule compliant. And then, as we know, as they would have it, you know, um, we talked about this a little bit in the last episode. um, Chargers go with Harbaugh, so Harbaugh is not a coach who satisfies the Rooney Rule, which. You know, the Rooney Rule is, doesn't speak to hiring. It speaks to interviewing. So we've talked about this on a previous episode with Brian Flores, but the Rooney Rule, with all good intentions, wanted to create more interview spots for persons of color, for minority coaching candidates. So if you, you know, wanted to hire a, a Harbaugh as the Chargers, maybe that was the plan the whole time, you can't do it without satisfying the Rooney Rule, which, you know, if you're just interviewing a head coaching candidate that's very qualified, it's really not an issue. So the reason that Shaw caught people's attention, like, you know, if you're a a former head coach in in the NFL or you've been a coordinator for many years in the NFL, like if you're interviewed for a head coaching job, it's not going to raise any eyebrows. Shaw in particular raised eyebrows. And that's why those tweets from Schefter and Albert Breer, um, you know, I, I think we're really just, Maybe maybe it was too on point that made made people feel uncomfortable, and you know we'll see if there's an investigation. So I'm going to read you David Shaw's resume. David Shaw did not coach in any level of football in 2023. He was the head coach at Stanford, Stanford football for 11 years from 2011 to 2022. Um, before that, he was in Stanford in various capacities, offensive coordinator. So now that's 15 years where he was just at Stanford. So he had a couple, you know, he was with, um, you know, the the Eagles for a year in 97 as the offensive quality control coach, the same position with the Raiders for three years, Raiders quarterback coach, uh, Raiders quarterback and wide receivers coach for three years. Um, So he, he, and you know, he had some time with San Diego and blah, blah, blah. He, he had a year with the San Diego Chargers in 2006. It appears that he was the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Now, I think it raised some eyebrows, right, when Adam Schefter is saying David Shaw, and now the Rooney Rule, has they're now compliant, when it, I think it would shock anybody, no matter what the color of someone's skin was, if they didn't coach at any level in 2023 and then jump to be the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers when they're interviewing against, 
you know, in theory, Vrabel, Belichick, um, Harbaugh, I think that would come as a surprise. So the way that that was phrased made it seem like Shaw was just a candidate to satisfy the Rooney rule. Like it was, it was too on point. And then, you know, I think Breer had to apologize. I don't, I didn't see a Schefter apology. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's never going to happen. I mean, I'm not opposed to a Schefter apology, but no, it, you know, I think the rule is well intentioned, but if you're going to, if, if it's going to be abused and not to say that was the case here, just what the optics are, like, what's the point of having it? And that's, you know, this Brian Flores case that's still kicking around. It's like that, that was the whole point that there were sham interviews being done when people were being, you know, like they really wanted to hire this person. So Harbaugh's maybe chargers had their eye on him the entire time, but the optics don't look good. And I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Flores makes some amendment to his complaint for this particular purpose. I, it would not shock me at all. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, though, the, like you said, the problem lies within the NFL owners kind of treating that as such, if that is the case. Um, you know, like there needs to be some sort of, um, I guess, fix in the rule, which has been a consistent uh thought throughout the league and throughout a lot of former players and coaches that uh, like, and you have mentioned previously on the show, just the rule needs to be reevaluated. And then in the meantime, I mean, media members like Breer and, you know, should, I guess, think a little bit, or I guess um, maybe that was a call out or, you know, I, I don't, I don't know think how, it was, you know, I don't think I, it I don't was a call out. need to think a little bit before. <laughs> Think before you tweet. on that. Yeah. yeah, I don't, that part's not really newsworthy to us. I, I, I get push notifications for a lot of NFL guys and so-and-so's interviewed, so-and-so's interviewed and just keep little tabs like the, the someone being compliant with the Rooney rule is not newsworthy. It's not. Um, so I don't, I don't know why it gets tweeted unless we're, we're making, I don't know. I was going to say making lights, not the right word. It's just, I don't know. The whole situation, it was just, I just thought it was wrong. And I'm happy Breer put an apology out. Also, you mentioned that Breer was at Sports Illustrated. Is Breer still at Sports Illustrated? Does Sports Illustrated still exist um, as of as of the time of this recording? You know, I, I wonder, actually. I'm kidding. I'm what, joking. Where Breer's at. I'm, I'm joking. The, I actually, I heard Chris Mannix pop on The Ringer and they said he was from Sports Illustrated. So, you know, we didn't cover this last week. I think, I think this came out right after we recorded, but Sports Illustrated is... Um, they're on ice, we'll say. I think another entity, I think, there's, without getting to all the details, I think, as, as most people know at this point, Sports Illustrated existed in some way, shape, or form. It got bought by, a, I think it was called Authentic Brands was the company. Um, and Authentic Brands owned the company and licensed it out to a company called the Arena Group. Arena Group hired employees and basically ran the magazine as a licensee of the Sports Illustrated name brand. So people are wondering, they're like, Sports Illustrated's really gotten bad over these past couple of years. Like I had my friends on my group chat, like, you know, the Sports Illustrated doesn't resemble the thing that we grew up in. And it's because it's, it was being licensed out to another company. So um, on the sports law side, this seemed to be a, a license agreement that just, they're, they said, pay this by a certain date. You know, you have to pay your, whatever it is, your periodic monthly, whatever it is, whatever period it was licensing fee. And you can continue to operate as Sports Illustrated. And, um, at least from what I read, there seemed to be some type of a, a cure period. If you don't pay on time, we'll give you a certain amount of time to pay. And they 
allegedly arena group didn't pay on time. They didn't pay after the 30 days or whatever the cure period was. And then they lost control of sports illustrated. And if you don't have the rights to run sports illustrated, certainly you can't justify paying employees whose job it is to help put out sports illustrated. So, um, my understanding is that the magazine is going to come back in some way, shape or form that the intention is to maybe license it out to someone else. Um, but it, you know, I th- did you and I, I think you and I did talk about the, um, the artificial intelligence issue they had. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, yeah. Did, we were on with Michael Scott, Michael Scott, no relation to, uh, the Dundee, the Dundee creator. Um, but yeah, sports illustrated, uh, they keep finding ways to get in the, in the headlines. Oh yeah. Do you have a Dundee? Is that what that was? I do have a Dundee. Wow. Speaking of my, uh, my girls have, um, I don't know who got it for them, but like little toy figurines. Someone, someone got them toys of the office. They're like little cute things. So Michael Scott has his like brushed back black hair. And my, my two-year-old goes, takes Michael Scott. She goes, daddy, daddy. I'm like, no, oh, no. Not me. but she's get a guy with <laughs> big black hair and, and like the suit on. And she just thinks it's daddy. I'm like, okay, not could be called worse things. At least like, at least it wasn't like the hair plug era of Michael Scott, not like the uh, the first season, Michael Scott. Yeah. Do you ever, do you ever um, see those hair plugs? Those are intense. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, crazy I mean, that look. Is... <laughs> um. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's pause here. Um. I think it's a good time to bring in uh Bryce Goodwin. Um. Again, you can find him on a. He's he's going to be popping up. He's doing basically weekly meetings or I say weekly, but how often is this sports law board meeting, Mike? I think you would know this. What are you guys doing monthly? Yes, so, um, yeah, I mean, monthly with all of us, um, we're actually kind of figuring out, we're in the process, um, of figuring out everyone's availability because we're all across the country. There's different <clears throat> time zones. I like this, the regional captains. So, you know, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're kind of figuring out and going through the process right now of when we're going to be meeting. Everyone was, I was very pumped up that first, uh, first meeting. Everyone's very excited. So well, Bryce said, I was telling Bryce, I'm like, do you want me on? And I'm like, actually you guys run the show and you guys want me to pop in. I want everyone to know that you guys are in charge. I, I am aware of all the doings and the comings and goings. I feel like I know almost everyone on the board. Um, but I, I like that you guys are, are running the ship. That's fantastic. Whatever initiatives you want, I'm all game. I trust you guys without further ado. Let's kick it over to Bryce Goodwin and Greg Termal football Fridays. Let's see if, uh, let's see if the audience likes it. We can, we can bring them back for more. Okay, we're trying out a new segment. Slash, this might be the only time we do it. If it goes well, maybe we'll do it again. Football Friday. We are joined by Greg Termal, one of my longest sports law connections back in the old school Twitter days, uh, a graduate of Pace Law School, and Bryce Goodwin, uh, currently at Regents, and our newly appointed editor-in-chief of Conduct Detrimental. Um, gentlemen, I was told by both of you, independently, that we had two really important soccer issues we should discuss on the podcast. And then I come to learn that you guys are secret best friends and you're having conversations on Twitter without me. I'm insanely jealous. And now we have to have this conversation all together. So my understanding, and if it gets to me, I know it's a big football slash soccer story. Um, Man City is the one that hit my deck first. um, And I know there's a big story in MLS. So Greg, Bryce, Welcome to Conduct Detrimental. Welcome back. You guys have both been on the show before. Um, whoever wants to take Man City, I am all yours. And re- remember, our listeners are not a soccer-heavy audience, but I think this story is big enough. So just remember the Michael Scott scene. Explain it to us like we're five. 
Uh, we'll, we'll try our best for sure, Dan. I know Bryce can do a good job of that, and uh, I'll try to do my best as well. But uh, it's a little bit complicated, always looking at European soccer compared to American sports, you know, that a lot of your listeners are probably used to. But uh, just to try to set a scene here, Manchester City has been one of the biggest clubs in Europe since they've been bought in 2008 by Abu Dhabi. Uh, and yes, I mean the state of Abu Dhabi. So they are owned by pretty much an oil state. Um, since then, they've, they've went on to win multiple Premier League titles. Even last year, uh, they won the Champions League. And uh, part of this is from these charges that they were just brought upon uh, actually a couple of years ago. But now the investigation is really starting to wrap up. Uh, this investigation started in 2018. Um, and so they've been recently charged with 115 charges, uh, really stemming from five offenses. And I'll touch on them briefly. And then if Bryce wants to jump in with anything, feel free. But uh, so they haven't been providing accurate financial info from 2009 to 2018. And what I mean by that is some of the sponsorship deals they've been doing have been with companies based in UAE, which once again, it's like the owners of City. They have links to the government. Um, so let's say for a sponsorship, they say uh, on paper, they get 40 million uh, pounds from this company who once again is based in UAE. Meanwhile, realistically, that deal is maybe worth 10 to 15 million pounds, but because they're able to grossly exaggerate uh, the difference in, in that number, that gives them more money to go out and spend in the transfer market, right? Because it's not like American sports where, you know, you call up, you know, you see in the NBA, two guys getting traded back and forth. It's not really like that in soccer. You actually have to pay clubs to be able to get the rights to the players. So that's part of it now. Um, and once again, this is all from a leak. Um, someone leaked out information, a German magazine leaked out this information, which is where um, the investigation started. Now, another charge they have is that they were lying about how much they were paying their coach. They said they were paying their coach about 1.5 million pounds. But the day that he signed a contract to Man City, that same day, he also signed a contract for a 1.7 million uh, euro contract a year with a club, once again, based in UAE. So they were lying about how much they were paying their manager, because why would they pay their manager to consult for a club in another uh, country more than they're important. paying their, their Manchester City? So just, just so I have this, um, we had a story we covered on the podcast. Um, it's with WNBA. It was kind of salaries cap circumvention with the Las Vegas Aces. Um, is that just, I guess, explain this. What benefit does Man City have by, I guess, lying about the coach's compensation? How does, how does that work in terms of the structure? It's just, it's just kind of hiding the funds again. I mean, they, it's mostly for transfers usually that they would be trying to, you know, do this, but um it's also probably just for the manager because they probably weren't allowed at the this was in 2012 that they were paying mancini um so they probably weren't allowed to spend as much because you know they had just bought the club manchester city had only been in the premier league since 2002 so uh, i mean i'm sure bryce can speak more about manchester city before they were bought by uae yeah absolutely um i think uh greg hit the nail on the head i think a thing that is tougher for Americans trying to get into the European game to realize is that the way the European soccer model works ultimately is that there's not really a salary cap. And so, uh, you know, before measures were put in place by UEFA to kind of curb that, and I'll touch on that in a second, uh, clubs could just go out and if they had the financial backing could spend the money on players and sign whoever they wanted, as long as they did it within the two transfer windows, one in the summer and one in the winter. And so Manchester City, before they were bought uh, by um, the oil state in 2008, ultimately um, they 
really didn't compete at the highest level in uh, the Premier League in England or in the European competitions. And, you know, their big rival, Manchester United, was always called the big brother in Manchester, uh, the historically big team that has so much success and City didn't really compare. But then when they had that change in ownership, they just started having the chance to buy the players that they wanted to buy and compete immediately. And so ultimately, what all of these charges are stemming around is something called financial fair play, which is basically European soccer's attempt, not really at a salary cap, but to try and, you know, promote sustainability with the books at every single club that, you know, they're balancing their budget. They're not taking a lot more losses than they're bringing in and that, you know, teams are able to compete fairly on the economic scale so that hopefully they'd be able to compete fairly on the field. And so I think what's making a lot of fans annoyed with this situation is that, you know, Manchester City has been in the heat of this conflict for so long, and there hasn't really been a definitive ruling. But you have two other clubs in England just this year, Everton and Nottingham Forest, who, um, you know, haven't been as successful as Manchester City, but they've been also charged with financial fair play breaches. And Everton was even deducted 10 points, which um, given a a little bit of more context here, obviously, you know, in soccer, um, you have a win that's three points, a draw is one point. And so in the Premier League, the bottom three teams, the worst three teams in the league, they don't come back the next year, they get relegated to the second division. And so Everton is a team at the minute who are currently in the heat of the relegation battle. So losing 10 points in your season is something that could, you know, not only hurt you for your prospects of staying in the league, but that's people's jobs and livelihoods that are in effect because of this breach. So I think, you know, the uncertainty surrounding what's going to happen with Man City is made all the more frustrating by the fact that there are two clubs who are fighting for their lives that have been the subject of more serious charges. So I'm going to jump in quick here because, again, I want to point out how insane this is. If this were to happen in American sports, how people would go crazy. Like in, in American sports, I'm uh, speaking to people that obviously understand this, but like there's dra- you can lose a draft pick, right? You can get fined. People can get suspended. We understand that. Imagine during the season, like during the course of a season, if an NFL team had like wins that were vacated and you went from like being a playoff team to like out of the playoffs because you got wins deducted during the season, like never heard of that. So it it's interesting, just different models. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's a pretty crazy punishment. So right, right now, um, I guess, Greg, uh, I want to make sure we hit the, the kind of high notes of this you know, investigation, but obviously something people should be paying attention to. Um, what have we not talked about in the Man City saga that, um, you know, that, that you think is important to bring up to our audience? Yeah. So two things I'll touch on. So kind of back to your example, Dan, where you're talking about, you know, if a team loses a couple of games, let's say in the NFL, you know, they might get a better draft pick, but here you have to think the Premier League is the biggest league in the world in soccer, right? If you get promoted from the championship to the Premier League, you're instantly handed pretty much $130 million because of the league rights. The TV rights in the Premier League are, are unreal. So even if you finish, you know, last, you still get that $130 million. So not only can you possibly get relegated if you're Everton or Nottingham Forest, even, who are also battling relegation, if they were to go down, they're losing out on a lot of money. Um, but back to Man City, uh, they actually did face uh, UEFA uh, charges from UEFA. But the problem with UEFA is that they have a five-year statute of limitations on these charges. So these charges are dating back to 2009, starting with the Premier League. And that's the difference between UEFA and the Premier League is that 
the Premier League doesn't have a statute of limitations, so they can go after all of these charges. Um, so UEFA did initially give them a two-year European ban in 2020, but due to the statute of limitations, it was overturned. Um, and then, as Bryce mentioned, they did violate FFP back in 2015 to 2018, which that kind of ties back into them lying about the financial information because the bigger they exaggerate those sponsorship deals, like I said, the example, you know, let's say they said on paper it was 50 million, but it was actually 10 million. UAE, they don't mind giving up the money and forking over the, the 200, 300 million a summer. The only thing is they have to make sure that on paper it looks correct. So that's why all of this, uh, you know, lying about the financial information and, and grossly exaggerating these deals. That's why it's a big deal. And my last point I'll make about this um, is that there is a potential that Everton, they already had their 10 point deduction. It's actually the largest in Premier League history. They've, they're facing another one. I don't know if they'll get another point deduction because it's only one more season um, compared to the last breach. It was over three seasons. While Nottingham Forest, um, they may face a, a deduction. I don't think it'll be 10 points because they do have a valid defense um, as to why they, they violated the, the rules or they have a somewhat valid defense, I'd say, where they waited to sell a player because they said over long term it would be more sustainable. But for Manchester City, if they're found guilty of a lot of these charges, it's very possible they could get more than 10 points. And the thing with this point deduction is it has to be done before the end of the season. Even if they were to get 30, 40 point deduction, they'd probably still be able to stay up in the Premier League. I'm really interested to see if, if the Premier League would really want to go out on a limb and potentially relegate them, which has been an option that has been talked about. And if the Premier League really wanted to make a case out of this, they, they would possibly go to that extent because, I mean, these charges are – this is over a nine, ten-year period where they were lying about their finances just to be able to get to the point where they are today. And um, It's really a, a complex situation. I, I want to just emphasize what you said. When you when Bryce said maybe relegation, you lose 10 points, and Everton, it's like, eh, okay. Like, Everton kind of – this is me, maybe biased American. Everton kind of sucks. Like, I don't know. They're not that big. Uh, it's a Man team that they, they haven't been relegated from the top flight since 1950, though, so it's a bit but of a guess historic what? club. Guess what? Everton's not that relevant. They're never, no, of course. I, I never really here, but I look at the betting odds. They're never, you know, listen, I can, people would call me dumb American. That's fine. If you relegate Man City, Man City's won the league recently, yeah. right? Like Man City's a, a blue blood. I mean, I maybe you call Everton a blue blood too, but relegating Man City, I feel like would send shockwaves across the sports world. If that was a form of punishment. Was I, I know Everton from the Tim Howard era. It was the last time I was like really, really into the Premier League, but like, you know, Am I am I crazy to say that Man City's in a different tier than Everton? Is that is that wrong? Yeah, right now they are. And this Dan, this is uh, I know you watched that documentary on Netflix about Juventus with the refs where they got relegated to the second division. This this is kind of similar because I, I was going to say with Manchester City though the thing is like with uh, Juve they had some Italian players so they just wanted to stay in Italy and help Juve get back up. Now if Man City get relegated, Erling Holland, Kevin De Bruyne, all these players, I don't know if they're going to stay. I mean, the money's great, but they're you're missing European football for two years. So that's it's not only City might get relegated, but the Premier League will be losing all these great players too. So it's tough for the Premier League. They're they're in a tough situation. Great, very this, good memory. I'll just jump say, in really – Oh, go ahead, Bryce. Go ahead. Sorry, guys. Just to jump in really quick to – like to put this in perspective for like American sports fans, uh, you know, the implications for Man City would be on the level of uh, Georgia football uh, getting um, an NCAA postseason ban for five, six years. Kirby Smart has to leave the program and all of the players hit the portal. That's the seismic nature of what's going on if something happens to Man City. 
I, I was going to add, and, and maybe this will be the subject of a bad sport documentary on Netflix. So I, I, I watch all the sports documentaries that come out. Greg, fantastic memory on Juventus. Um, maybe the punishment is sending Man City down all the way to Wrexham uh, because I've been watching uh, Welcome to Wrexham as well. Very good. Okay, Bryce, um, I want to. I think that's. I think that's a pretty good understanding of where we're at with Man City. People should be paying attention to it. Um, Bryce, take us over to um, an inter- a topic you brought to my attention: an MLS soccer domestic issue. Um, take it away. The floor is yours. We have not talked about it on the podcast, so explain it to us. Maybe like we're five or six. Maybe maybe uh, uh, maybe MLS is a little bit easier. But Man City, that was a pretty good explanation by both of you guys. For sure. So um, yesterday, just yesterday, uh, there was a report that came out from Tom Bogert, great MLS athletic reporter, that basically said um, that an American player, MLS player, Jesus Ferreira, who currently plays for FC Dallas, and he's been the striker part of the U.S. men's national team for a couple years now, um, he was in the process uh, of finalizing a transfer to Spartak Moscow, a team in the Russian league, uh, for about $13 million dollars. But uh, the MLS, as a league, blocked the transfer um, due to um, ultimately the owner of Spartak Moscow being uh, Luke Oil, which is an entity that's subject to U.S. Treasury economic sanctions. Um, And so, uh, you know, ultimately you have the rationale behind, potentially behind why MLS blocked the deal. But the even crazier issue at play is, and the reason why a lot of people were struggling to understand why MLS could do this is down to MLS's corporate structure currently. And if Jesus Ferreira uh, were able to, you know, pursue uh, any claim because he's frustrated they didn't get his move to Europe, what that might do to MLS's corporate structure. And so, you know, it's a really interesting topic and it all boils down to two words that people in soccer circles know, uh, people in antitrust circles know, but outside of that, probably not many others know. And those two words are single entity. So basically... Uh, The MLS was structured when it was created in the 90s. It was structured as a single entity league. And what that means is that the MLS itself um, is one corporation, MLS LLC. And so the clubs that are in MLS, they're not their own corporations. They're considered as wholly owned subsidiaries of the MLS. So it's kind of like a parent-child relationship between the MLS and its clubs. And the reason why that's important is because the Supreme Court uh, in the early 1900s basically said that um, a parent corporation that's considered a single entity is immune from any antitrust scrutiny from any of its wholly owned subsidiaries. And so basically, uh, the reason why MLS was structured the way it was is because, um, you know, they have almost complete control over the transfer process with the players because instead of the players signing their contracts with their clubs, they sign them with the league as a whole. So if a player is trying to get their move to a different club and the MLS were to block it like they did for Ferreira, then if Ferreira were upset or another player were upset and they wanted to sue the MLS because they said the MLS was, you know, blocking their ability to market their services. You know, that's the claim, typical antitrust claim that people will bring. Uh, the MLS can say, hey, we're a single entity. So the Supreme Court says we're immune from antitrust lawsuits from you because you're our subsidiary. But the interesting thing here is that uh, just under three years ago in the federal district court in Oregon, um, 
they disaffirm the single entity defense for the women's soccer league in America, NWSL. And the reason why that's so interesting is because the NWSL is currently organized and structured very similarly to MLS. And the last antitrust single entity challenge to MLS was a little over 20 years ago. So there hasn't been any challenge from anyone thus far. And this is ultimately the prime example of a case where a player could sue on antitrust grounds and a court could ultimately strike down the single entity defense for MLS. And that ultimately would mean that the league structure could be completely turned over. So it's huge potential here. And obviously, you know, people will say, um, that the MLS did this to avoid getting into business with, you know, a Russian company who's under sanction, which is certainly understandable. But any other player who's in a similar situation could face, you know, they have the opportunity to, you know, test this and ultimately change the way that their relationship with the MLS and with their clubs could even happen. And I think Greg was talking to me earlier about a player who uh, had something similar happen to them. I, yeah. I have a quick question. Um, Let's say the single entity is struck down by the courts. What, Bryce, what fills its place? Yeah, so that's really interesting. And I think, you know, you have a system that's more like the NFL, um, MLB, NBA, where you have the league itself is structured as a corporation, but then the clubs are also structured as corporations. So, you know, you see in the NFL and the NBA and leagues like this, when, you know, you have a free agent, um, you know, they sign their contract with that team. Um, but as I said earlier, right now with the MLS, the players sign their contracts with the MLS, not with their teams. The teams can negotiate with the players um, and they have some flexibility in scouting them as well. But ultimately, the final decision on who signs the contract is MLS. And so if if a challenge were to go to court and that court were to strike down that single entity defense and say, hey, MLS, um, you know, you're not immune from this antitrust claim. You need to provide, uh, you know, better competition than you currently do. Then clubs might be given a lot more power and leeway in these negotiations and have more flexibility to sign who they want. Because right now they're a little bit at the mercy of MLS because MLS has the final say as to whether that contract is signed. Okay, Bryce, that was a, a fantastic breakdown. Greg, you look eager to jump in. I'll give you the the whatever hasn't been touched here that you think is also interesting as well. Yeah. So I'll just touch on two quick things. You know, Bryce did a wonderful job of explaining the single entity part. And just one reminder to people that may not know uh, much about MLS. MLS is a little different from European leagues where in Europe, you know, let's say the Premier League, we were talking about relegation before. There's no promotion relegation system um, with MLS. So it's just, you could finish bottom of the league in MLS and you're still in the league the next year. Meanwhile, in pretty much any other European league, you're bottom of the league, you're going down to the second league. Um, so that's just one thing that makes the MLS always a, a little more interesting compared to the European leagues. And back to what Bryce mentioned that uh, in 2022, there was a similar situation where a player on the New York Red Bulls, Christian Caceres Jr., uh, had a deal to go to Locomotive Moscow for a deal that was over $5 million and including a sell-on clause for the Red Bulls, which for the Red Bulls was a great deal, even though he was a starter. Um, it was It was a lot of money. And the difference and that was struck down and then he ended up getting a move about six to eight months later where the Red Bulls only got you know a little under a million dollars and that's with all the incentives hitting so it's also now for the clubs where FC Dallas got 13 a 13 million dollar offer for Jesus Ferreira I don't know if there's any other European clubs that are calling in and giving them over 10 million this might be a deal that they can't really find elsewhere on the market so it is very interesting 
Okay. I mean, listen, gentlemen, you're invited back anytime. Football Fridays might become a thing. We'll see what the audience feedback is. But, you know, we, we try to give the biggest stories in sports, and I trust you guys both. And, um, yeah, I think that was fantastic. So, Greg, uh, Bryce, you guys are always welcome back on Conduct Detrimental. Appreciate all your contributions. Football finance, Greg, I don't forget. And, Bryce, your current contributions, running the writing competition, uh, which uh, we'll have John Kane, our winner on next couple weeks. I spoke with John recently and um, I think we have some more big things on the horizon, but all good stuff and uh, appreciate both of you. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Dan. Always fun. So that was Bryce Goodwin and Greg Tremol. Those guys were excellent. Um, Mike, I had the over-under of questions that you were going to ask at 0.5. Mike, well, did we hit the over or the under? I, I wasn't keeping track. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I did not score a touchdown uh, this week. <laughs> um, you didn't kick an extra point like uh, like our friend Tyler Bass uh, over in Buffalo. Fantastic. Um, so, uh, Mike, let's do this. Let's wrap on this. Uh, what to watch for. Um, stories in sports law, we, we've covered a lot on this episode, you know, between the soccer stuff, Barstool, Boutet, Rooney Rule, uh, Sports Illustrated. Um, I think there are two really big stories that kind of just fell into our lap that I, I do think we should cover. Um, Mike, you're a resident hockey guy. I know I've been getting a lot of tags on Twitter on this particular story. Why don't you give us just a really high level, and I'm going to try to get on Matt Timpanic, our resident DA, um, next week to really break it down on the criminal side. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this is a huge this is a huge thing, um, you know, going on for hockey, the hockey world, honestly. Uh, so five members of the Canadian 2018 World Junior Hockey Team. Uh, were informed to surrender to London, Ontario, uh, the police station uh, for alleged sexual assault charges. So uh, happened allegedly, uh, you know, in a London hotel room in uh, June of 2018 uh, at a Hockey Canada Foundation event. Um, As of right now, uh, several players who are members of the team did take uh, indefinite leaves of absence from their uh, NHL clubs. So, um, Michael McLeod, Cal Foot of the Devils, Carter Hart of the Flyers, uh, Dylan Dubé of the um, Calgary Flames, and former Ottawa Senators player uh, Alex Formenton. Now he plays in Switzerland, so obviously that this is a whole national thing. Uh, it spans kind of multiple uh, leagues, and obviously the World Junior Classic is a huge, a huge event every single year, and having a team like that um, at a foundation event uh, allegedly this going on so they've been reopening investigations it, it initially came public in 2022 um, and it was settled in may of 2020 uh may of 2022 so in april it kicked off and in may already was settled um you know each of their agents you know they attempted to say that uh you know none of them engaged in any wrongdoing um basically that's all a lawyer for heart said that's all uh, Dubé's agent said. So um, there's a lot to come from this, though. This is just the beginning of the unpacking. Obviously, as they're uh, indefinitely suspended, um, you know, you don't know what what's to come from that. So um, that's that's a big thing to watch for next week. You know, if we're going to, uh, you know, speak with uh, Mr. Timpanic here. Mr. Timpanic, as uh, Mike's little radio jingle is, I think it's what's it's don't panic. Call panic. Call, call Tim panic. It's actually it's very, very catchy. Um, so, you know, why, why we want to watch that, and I think that's a great one, is because if you have a certain amount of players, maybe there's a snowball effect. Um, so, 
I know you don't root for it um, by any means, but we're obviously watching it very closely. Um, I I think a big story. Um, I r- read most of this complaint. Um, I kind of regretted it once I started, and then I'm like, I kind of have to understand this stuff for the show, and I'll I'll spare you. I don't. And I think if you haven't read the Vince McMahon complaint, I probably going to say not to. Um, I think the blurbs on, you know, wherever you're seeing them, CNN, elsewhere, um, Wall Street Journal, like just stick to the blurbs. If you read the actual complaint, it gets like really dark really quickly. Um, we, we have covered this. We have covered wrestling. And, and I think, Mike, I'm looking at your Degeneration X hat. Um, when I grew up, I had a Degeneration X football jersey. I, I, I've been very close to wrestling for many years, and I think Mike, as you know, I have some some business connections to WWE. We'll, we'll just put it that way. Um, I have some friends that work there, so I'll be pretty careful with this. I the allegations in in the complaint are really heinous from a legal standpoint. Um, what is we'll say intriguing or, or kind of interesting about the complaint is that it contains screenshots of long text messages. Now. It's not, this is not a he said, she said type deal. There are text messages, and if you look at the text messages, which, I don't know, you could just take my word for it, they're really graphic, right? Trigger warning, whatever we need to say, so you're warned. Don't, don't yell at me that you read this afterwards. But the text messages back and forth, in isolation, they don't necessarily show that it was a non-consensual event, right? The the tenor of the complaint is that Vince McMahon uses power and pressure and, and this individual and her name's in the complaint, not our we're not gonna say it here, felt coerced because of McMahon's position of power. So McMahon's not really I mean if, if simple discovery will, will show what text messages if those really came from McMahon's phone or not, right? Pretty easy to get during the course of discovery, pretty straightforward and, and they should be entitled to the full cell phone records. Now, the question is, you're not really left with the he said, she said type denial. You're left with a situation where you have to prove that this was consensual, despite the text messages. So um, it, it's not your typical situation. Um, the other part of this, which is part of the complaint, there was an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement that was signed between uh, all allegedly, I don't want to get in trouble, um, allegedly between uh, Vince McMahon and this individual who who was an employee of WWE. Um, and this individual alleges that these payments associated with the non-disclosure agreement stopped at some point in time. So there's a lot times two individuals together, you know, um, and I, I find it interesting that Vince McMahon kind of left the WWE for a period of time, came back, but there was some whispers that something had happened. There was some hush money beforehand. Um, so, you know, it's not that hard to kind of tie some tie, tie some lines together. I'm a big, Mike, as you know, and I, I presume you are as well, I'm a big WWE guy. I, I had originally planned I, you know, to tell talk about WWE's big Netflix deal. Uh, you know, but I'm not really quite in the mood to talk about it for WWE's purposes. I'm still excited. You know, generally the company's on all-time highs. Vince McMahon really hasn't had his fingerprints as far as the public has been concerned on the product the last couple of months. It's been a Nick Khan and, and Triple H special um, and probably for the best. So this stink of these allegations doesn't necessarily blow back 
all the progress the company has made, but whoa, that complaint, that complaint was pretty insane. So read it at, read it at your warning. But, um, yeah, I was, uh, I was not expecting that. I certainly was not. No, definitely not. And, um, yeah, it's just like, like you said, it's at a, at a time where WWE is seemingly on its largest rise. So, uh, I'm sure they're, they're going to want to also look into this, um, and have this, I mean, it, it like, yeah, it, it, it's if bad. you could see our faces right now, it's just the, the complaint is, is crazy. Well, so the way the complaint is written and, um, I mean, you and I know this. I don't know if everyone knows listening to this. Wrestlers are coming out and saying anyone that knew about this cover-up or alleged cover-up that was involved in an alleged cover-up has to go. And let's just say it's an allegation from a former employee that acts were being done in broad daylight. So I'm putting my hands up. People can kind of read between the lines as to what that means, how it was possible that this took um, – almost four years according to the complaint to come out um, is surprising. So that's, that's what we're watching for. So again, uh, I give my disclaimer. I don't really like talking about some of these stories. I told you, Mike, that I wasn't planning to talk about it. And then after I read the complaint, I'm like, this is a really big story. We got to cover it. So it is what it is. Um, Okay. Loaded, loaded episode, ton of topics. We'll uh, end on a little bit of a lighter note. Um, Mike, you and I go back and forth on bets, uh, during the regular season, I was pretty hot. And then I came on this podcast and I said, here's the pick bills, Cowboys, Super Bowl, 24 to one. It's a great bet. You guys should do it with me. Even if you don't like that in total, bet the bills to win the AFC or the Cowboys to win the NFC. I'm sorry. Whoever tells me I lost money too. So I'm sorry. Okay. Maybe the NFL scripted. Maybe we're just going by. You know what Zach Bryson said on this podcast. He said, go with the 49ers, go with the Ravens, because the colors of the Super Bowl logo are purple and red. He said that, and I laughed at him. I'm like, that's not the case. And now we're sitting here on the precipice of the Super Bowl, and those are two of the four teams that remain, along with the Kansas City Chiefs, who were 11-1 to to win the Super Bowl when the playoffs started. I saw it. I couldn't bet it because that meant the Bills had to lose. I told some friends about it. Unfortunately, they're making money. I am not. Uh, hopefully you guys have that. Detroit Lions are there. I don't think anyone's taking that. Mike, I'm going to go to you first. Your Super Bowl winning team. Who you like? Why? Give it to me. And I'll, I'll see if I'm on board with you. Yeah, I like the Ravens. I think uh, the Harbaugh's are going back-to-back this year in football. Uh, wow. It's just the way that that team is structured. The defense is unbelievable. Uh, like, I, I will say... You know, on the obviously on the NFC side, the 49ers defense is unbelievable as well. But I just see so much just closure in in the way that the Ravens are. They will score on a dime. I mean, Lamar's playing the best football he's ever played. Uh, you know, he had four touchdowns last week. They, in my opinion, are just built for a Super Bowl right now. And I do. I will agree with the conspiracy of the logo i am one of those people that is on board with the conspiracy of the logo um i'm hoping next year um i hope it wasn't a fake logo i did see some green in that uh in next year's logo so let's get an aaron Rodgers story but um (laughs) um besides that the ravens yeah i think i really do like them uh in the afc i think the chiefs 
run um, unless the NFL truly is uh, scripted for Taylor Swift on that end. Uh, so it's, you know, which has been very beneficial for them. I well, you know, I, I wouldn't blame them at all. But, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm choosing the Ravens in terms of skill and pure uh, football ability here. Okay, so I, I like it. Um, there has been a, and I'm, I know you've seen this because you live on the internet like I do. There was a very suspicious ref decision that you, yes. you that was made in the Chiefs-Ravens game. You're nodding. Not familiar with this ref name. Is it Sean Smith? Yes. Sean Smith has an alarming trend. Alarming, it's a trend. I don't think you can call it anything otherwise. Most refs intuitively, maybe the home fans get in their ears. I have no idea. Most refs tend to give more calls to the home team. So you're, if you're sitting at home like, oh, the home team got the call. It's not necessarily like a figment of our imagination. There are some metrics that show that to be the case. Now, whatever the normal trend is in the NFL, Sean Smith goes the exact opposite way. So he's one of the more road team friendly refs. And that's the ref that is assigned to this game. So the problem is, Mike, the script says that the Ravens should be in the Super Bowl against the 49ers. People say the NFL scripts this. Now, if the NFL were scripting this, and they were scripting to the colors of the the NFL Super Bowl logo, they would go with Ravens and Niners. But that ref decision seems to favor the Kansas City Chiefs, the road team in that matchup. It's a rewrite. It's a rewrite. They didn't know that uh, Travis and Taylor would be together before the season when the logo was created. I knew you were going to say that. You're sicko. Um, I I'm not touching. Uh, I don't. I could see either team come out of that. Truthfully, I don't want to touch that. My bet. Uh, let me just tell you my bet for the weekend. I'm going to cop out a little bit. I have no idea who's going to win the Super Bowl. I really don't want to see the Chiefs win the Super Bowl because they've not eliminated my Bills. Um, I I don't really. And I have. Um, I think I've been public with this. I represent an agency that has two players on the Ravens, pretty high profile guys, Zay Flowers being one of them. So I'd love to see the Ravens win. Um, I, I'm going to say this, hopefully I don't get in trouble. My bet of the weekend, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Um, I'm not going to give a Super Bowl pick. I'll, I'll ride with you with the Ravens. My bet of the weekend, seven point tees, bring the 49ers down from seven point favorite down to a half point, basically betting them to win. And you take the Chiefs. As I'm sitting here, they're three and a half point underdog. You take that number up to ten and a half. So as long as the Kansas City Chiefs are within ten and a half, and the Niners win, you're good. Seven point tees. Uh, there's there's some there's some uh, experts that say not to uh, take the seven and a half down to the to the zero. I feel pretty good about the Niners winning, um, and I would be shocked, sh- absolutely shocked, if the Kansas City Chiefs lost this game by more than 11 points that would or more than 10 points that would really floor me so seven point tees is my bet mike your unofficial bet is ravens to win the super bowl i think that'll do it i think that'll do it um yeah good episode mike good episode great good episode. job good effort we're gonna be back next week um maybe an earlier episode of the week if we can stick to the schedule with taryn and mike for college sports edition a lot of stories cooking in college sports um just couldn't fit it all in on one episode. So Mike and Tyron will be back next week. We'll cover some sports law, some sports betting, all of the above. Um, and that'll do it for us here at Conduct Detrimental. Signing off for this week. Um, happy betting. Happy Friday. And have a good weekend. For all of us here at Conduct Detrimental, you'll see you next time on another episode of Conduct Detrimental. Conduct Detrimental.